Welcome back, or if it's your first time, I'm glad to have you here. I'm Matt Fendora, and you're tuned in to the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast, where we journey together toward becoming the best version of ourselves. Using mind, body, heart, and spirit as the anchors of our podcast, join me as we set sail into the depths of self-discovery, unraveling the interconnected layers that shape our growth. If you resonate with today's conversation, consider subscribing to the podcast. Your support means the world to us and ensures you never miss an empowering episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast, a podcast all about being the best version of yourself through mind, body, heart, and spirit. Today, we are here with Tisha Marie Strasser. Tisha went from being a statistic to CEO as a remarkable woman of resilience and determination. With a background in owning and leading a construction company that spans over a decade, she not only shattered the glass ceiling, but also laid the foundation for her future to empower girls and women. Through sheer grit and tenacity, she navigated a male-dominated industry, becoming a trailblazing owner and leader. Fueled by her passion for empowering the next generation, she founded and ran a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping young girls rise above adversity. Her nonprofit has touched countless lives in providing mentorship, education, and support to empower girls to believe in themselves and reach for the stars. This empowerment extends to our disabled community and athletes as well. Tisha's life has been marked by personal challenges. She faced and overcame trauma with unyielding strength Her battle against chronic illness taught her the value of resilience and self-care. Today, she stands as a beacon of hope for others, sharing her story to inspire them to overcome their own obstacles and emerge as their own heroes. With her thriving past experiences alongside her nonprofit making a lasting impact and her commitment to helping others, she is a shining example of a woman who has transformed adversity into strength. Her journey is a testament to the power of perseverance, and she continues to pave the way for others to rise above their circumstances. Some of Tisha's proudest accomplishments include raising her kids, starting her company, her military service, and not staying a victim. What makes Tisha's heart sing? Empowering others. Without further ado, here's Tisha. How are you doing today, Tisha? <laughs> I'm good. That was a lot. You And you did you got through all of that without any tongue twisters. That was a lot of information. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Thank you for sharing all that. You've done a lot in, I mean, I'd say not so long, like just the ability to start somewhere and you just keep growing from that point. And like you said, you don't become, you don't stay as a victim. You don't stay in that past situations that happen. You take that and then you move forward and you just continue to grow and grow. And then, like you said, what makes your heart sing, you empower others. And we can see that every day. I mean, I love going on social media. I'm like, oh, it's Tisha up today. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. That's exactly the feeling I hope to evoke, right? So many people can, you can look at social media as a negative thing and it can be a negative thing, or you can use it as a tool to inspire and empower and make people smile. So that is always my goal when I go on there. (laughs) So my first question for you is what made you start Bring It, Push It, Own It? Yes. So the journey to bring it, push it, own it, there's quite a bit there, but to shorten that long journey, I'm an at-risk girl myself. I moved out at 16 years old. I've kind of seen every depth of trauma that you can experience. And so for me, when I became a mom, I thought, you know, my girls are never going to go through any of this stuff. They're going to have such a great life and they'll never have all these insecurities that I have and everything's going to be great. I'm going to put up this white picket fence. We're going to have two dogs. Everything's going to be fabulous. 
And I learned very quickly that even though I was able to love my girls and be there for them, unlike in my life, I had an absent mother. When my oldest daughter hit middle school, she really started to struggle and started to introvert and really lose herself and her voice. Had gone through some, you know, unfortunately typical friend issues, um, specifically in, in the girl arena, and just really started to doubt herself and really just didn't know how to stick up for herself or use her voice. She really just started to think she wasn't good enough. And as a mom, I really started to hone in and listen what was going on. I would try to stick closer to the sports that she was involved in. And I thought, oh my gosh, when kids are in sports and youth group and all these things, everything's perfect. Because when you don't come from those things, you have this outside view, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, what could possibly be wrong? I've like created this perfect little bubble life for her, right? And as I listened and I honed in, I realized that these kids that were different than me, didn't have an at-risk life, had the exact same insecurities. And they were just deflecting them in the way that they treated other people. Because when we feel bad about ourselves, we take that out on others. And what I realized, they're athletes, you know, they're doing great in school. They may have these put together families. They know Jesus, but nobody's talking to them about when we feel bad about ourselves. What do we do with that? Right. Nobody has time for it. Yeah. So I quickly realized like, oh my gosh, we need to do something different that our kids aren't already getting because this is a big deal. And now I see another generation of girls that are going to grow up with the same problems that I have. They're going to bring that trauma into their relationships, into their jobs. And so we've got to make a change. So that's where it started. Okay. So what does Bring It, Push It, Own It do then? Yes. So I wanted to create something that I knew could address these issues that we weren't able to talk about in other spaces. Like what happens when you feel insecure? And a lot of people don't understand what they're doing, right? When they're insecure. So how do I create a program where we can have these real conversations? Because typically nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody mm -hmm. thinks that they're being mean or that they're really insecure about themselves or that they're really comparing. They, they really don't identify that those are the things they're doing. So how could I create a program where we make sure we're having those real conversations. So the biggest thing for me at this point in my life, I had really started working out again, moving my body. I was a military girl, I was a younger girl, and I kind of lost that as I became a mom and started moving my body and realized that this created um, a lot of brain expansion for me. I started to think a lot bigger. I started to start to deal with stuff that I had pushed down, obviously it gave me happy endorphins. So I was able to look at like, oh my gosh, we need to use movement as a key tool because then I can get them to talk because when we move our bodies, our brain is at its biggest capacity to receive a message. So how am I going to get middle school girls to be honest with me about some of their behaviors, some of the way they feel without them feeling awkward or judging themselves in a group, right? So I knew that movement would do that. So the context of using exercise, I use the word movement because exercise has gotten a bad rap. We look at it as body image, losing weight, you're going to get muscles and that's all great. But that's not why I use it. I use it as a part of neuroscience to get our to depression, anxiety down, endorphins up, awkwardness, not as heavy so we can have real conversations. So we always have movement in all the programs that we do with our kiddos, at least 35 minutes of that. But then we also prime their brain. So in between songs, we have them go up to somebody and say, you know, you're amazing. I've got your back. You're strong. So we're saying all these things, just trying to prime their brain for like, yeah, like I feel good. Right. Because it's normal when you come into a space 
even if you don't have anxiety to get anxious. So we want to push that down. So we have real impact. And then after the movement, we do mindfulness because I believe as a young girl, that was a key component that I was not taught was how to tune into myself. And that's what we see with our kids. What's happening is we have a lot of noise from our phones, TVs, our computers, the people around us. We don't know how to sit with ourselves and look for the answers that we need. We don't know how to hear ourselves. So that's where the comparison and securities come in. Mm -hmm. As I teach, it's not your brain telling you those things. Your brain loves you. It thinks you're amazing. You've got those messages from somewhere else. So then that leads us to being able to have an interactive workshop that's real because their brain is primed. Anxiety and depression is down. Awkwardness is gone. We've all had fun together. We're you know, high-fiving and jumping and chicken dancing and doing crazy stuff just to bring that silly component. Now we can have a talk about what happens when we start to feel bad about ourselves. Where is that coming from? How do we identify our own self-worth? How do we have healthy relationships? So we can have these real talks when they're ready for it. Because sometimes we try to do these things with people and they're not in a space to be able to even absorb any of the message. So the science of it is the method works, the movement, the mindfulness, then the work. So that's what we do at Bring It. And then at the end of a, a program, we typically take our teen girls on an obstacle course. As a military girl myself, I think it's really important to get uncomfortable, mm -hmm. safely uncomfortable. We're not taking them anywhere. They're <laughs> going to get hurt. But, you know, put you in a position where I don't want to do that. That scares me. That's dirty. I don't like that. Those things are what help you grow, as you know. And so I use that component to teach the girls how to help each other as well. What do we do when there's fear? What do you do when you're sitting on the top of a wall and you don't want to throw your leg over and jump down? That's a metaphor for everything else that's going to scare you. And I think that if we get these opportunities at a young age, like sports gives you discipline and structure and it gives you all these great things, but you get really good at it and the fear actually goes away. So we don't really always stay uncomfortable. So I'm realizing I have these girls that are athletes, which is awesome but they're kind of used to it. They've been doing it forever. They're not pushing their limits really of get uncomfortable. So mm -hmm. that's what we do in our programming. I love it. How do you get people to be vulnerable in those situations? Do you find that it can be difficult to have those conversations or at least start them? So I find it is not difficult if I use my method. I also, for myself, I do coach as well outside of my nonprofit. And I think that if I can't use all the methods, I always use a little piece of each part of the method. So to get people vulnerable, you have to feel safe and they have to feel like they're in control. Those are the two components for somebody to be vulnerable. And when I say control, it means that they have to feel safe enough that they know that they're still in control, that if they don't want to talk about something, you are not making anybody do anything if they don't feel safe and in control of. So the context is helping them understand how to get your brain to a, to a comfortable space, yet also uncomfortable. So I say that in the same sentence, which can be confusing. They have to feel safe. So that's the comfort zone. But they have to know that if they get a little uncomfortable, it's because you're about to grow. So it's okay to do that. So I think that you have to be the type of person that can make people feel safe and also make them feel inspired enough to want to get a little uncomfortable, to want to have those conversations. So I don't find it difficult. It's it's my zone of genius. It's what I love to do. I love people. And I want to have those real conversations that I know are not taking place in other places. So I absolutely love having those vulnerable, real conversations. I don't think I know how to do anything else. So people, I probably <laughs> scare people a little bit because I'm like, I don't do surface level conversations. 
<laughs> so I know you don't, your bring it, push it, own it focuses on women. However, you have done work with men. Do you see a difference or do you approach it differently between women and men? That's such a great question. So as a woman of trauma myself, to be fair, you know, I have some trauma from men. And so I've had to do a lot of work to overcome that. And I have a son. And so, you know, as a mom, it definitely was something that was really important to me to make sure that I worked on that and didn't have a view of men the way that I did as a young girl. So one of the first things I did that I think really helped me identify with men and what we can do that's so impactful is we worked with our semi-pro soccer team here locally in Fort Wayne. And I'll tell you, the owner, he had, he came to a women's breakfast that I put on. We were super excited that he attended that. And I did a little exercise where I had everybody close their eyes and go back to a time where you didn't have titles, you didn't have education, you weren't like the athlete that everybody was rooting for. You, you didn't have any of that. So some people have to go really far back, right? Because our kids can end up getting the title of like the best athlete at like eight years old and all of these things. And I didn't really, I wasn't thinking about him when I did this exercise as something that I always do. And just go back to that time when you were innocent and there was no expectations and people aren't looking at you for credentials and all these things, because that's the most authentic, joyful version of ourselves, right? And I did this because I wanted the room to remember why we work with kids. We want to help people stay in that authentic, joyful version of themselves. So he came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, nobody's ever asked me about little, little me. I said, that's terrible because how long have you been playing sports? And so he had been drafted at 15. So let's be real. He's been playing sports probably since he was five, right? So identifying as being really good at this thing. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, nobody's ever in all of my career ever asked me how I am. And that broke my heart because I'm like, you're a person first. I love that you're an athlete. My kids adore you, all those good things, right? Mm -hmm. But that like really sat with me. And then he said, can we sit down and talk? And so eventually he had asked me a couple of times to work with his male team. And I'm like, um, I don't really do men first thought. And so I thought, oh, he'll just go away. It's fine. So second time he asked, I'm like, huh, this is not going away. Right. <laughs> so I said, well, let me think on it. And let me think, because that was my first thought. Do I have to shift my narrative of the way that I do things? Because you need to like be authentic in the way that you do things. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the third time he came around, I said, oh, God's not playing. He's it's not, he's not playing with you. This is the third time you've been asked to do this thing. So I was like, it's time to step up. So when I did this team, I went in there originally and I told my team, I said, okay, let's like not be as dancey and maybe not do things like as girly. Like we want, we want them to feel like they're in their masculine energy. I don't ever want to take that away from that. I had 27 young men. And, and I want to say like, when I say young men, we're talking 18 to 25 and, and your brain is still developing or still becoming who you are at that age. Right. But my first thought was, Will I be able to do this in an impactful way, considering all the things that I've come from? And so we get in there. And in the first 30 seconds, I'm not kidding you, 45 seconds, I look at my team and I'm like, go back to the way we always do things. Because you could tell they loved it. They wanted to dance. They wanted to be silly. It's okay for us all to trade that masculine and feminine energy on and off, right? Mm -hmm. And so immediately... I could tell that this big group of guys wanted to do things the way that I always do them. And that 
that is something you have to pay attention to, right? That's being able to connect with people. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at my team and I said, go back to the way we always do it. I don't want you to do anything different. That is still to this day, very, very deeply in my soul of one of my first few athlete sessions with young men, because then we did our activity, which our activity is all about getting vulnerable. I get them all to tell me their insecurities and fears without verbally doing it. I have an activity that we do, and then I utilize it to show all of them they're in the same struggles. And at the end of that session, they had their, you know, kind of like mascot guy. And he came up to me and he said, and they all surrounded around me in a big group, which was really big for me. And he said, we just wanted to thank you. He had this Jamaican accent. I just loved it so much. And he said, on behalf of the team, we just want to thank you for loving us and seeing us and caring about us. And that always stuck with me and made me realize we don't really need things differently per se. We might perceive them differently and we might internalize them differently, but we all have the same need. Our guys and our girls, men and women all need to feel loved and like they belong and that they're seen and they're heard and they matter. There's no difference, you know, in feminine, masculine energy in that hierarchy need. Yet, I think that for women and men, we need to understand men aren't always going to emotionally process out loud but they're still emotionally processing and it's okay that they're not doing it out loud yet also teaching our young men. Something we talked to them about was how many of you know that you all have this one struggle that I've written down here. None of them. Mm-hmm. And this happens every time I work with a male team and I say to them, so I know you go up to your buddy every day. Like, hey man, what's up? What's good. But did you ever really ask him everything good? Like, did you mean it? Did you actually mean it? Or you just want to pat him on the back, say what's up, high five and keep moving because it's super uncomfortable to ask any deeper. So I think that in working with my young men, I do work a little harder to say, hey, are you really asking how your guys are? Like, or are you just doing the normal like guy high five that you've been taught? Perfectly normal. It's all you know. You know, and and I always say, I'm not asking you as a guy, you know, to be overly emotional if that's not your thing or to cry in front of people. I want you to know it's okay to do that. But I am asking you to care enough to stop and see, just like mm-hmm. you wanted me to see you. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's that's the difference is just teaching them a little more of the emotional conversation, just because I think generationally that's kind of been not a thing. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the video that you actually shared. I think it was yesterday or the day before yes. of that person of that video of where there's two guys, they go to a soccer, it looks like a soccer game or a rugby game every single day. They're always sitting there and one of them's not going to be there at the end. And it's not the person that you think. And it's, you see this one person like, oh, this is, this guy's, you know, he's pretty sad. He looks pretty bummed out. Like he's not interacting, but then, and then there's the other guy that is super involved. He's super happy, like always asking questions. How, oh, how are you doing today? Oh, you know, and at the end, it shows that the happy person wasn't there. And it's because, like you said, we don't ask those deep questions. We just say, oh, hey, how are you? And we don't really necessarily care what the answer is. We're expecting a certain answer, that expectation bias of, oh, this is how they're going to respond. Or when somebody the other person who's being asked, they don't necessarily feel comfortable enough to be like, oh man, I had a rough day today. Well, and I think when you watch that video and thanks for watching that video, because that was my heart. I'm like, this is what happens when I work with guys. The other guy actually never asked back. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was interesting to watch the interaction, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not because they're bad people. 
it's just that context of women are born with, with that nurturing vibe, right? So you see women doing it. I have examples of that. Even growing up in the lifestyle I did as a woman, I can see other women doing that nurturing thing. And so for young men and men, it's, it's okay. Hey, you're just kind of repeating what you know. And that's why we ask our young men when we work together, like, are you really asking how they're doing? And we worked with a, a young, young men's bowling team, my absolute favorite. I just, and I will tell you, the funny thing is I love working with women. They're my number one mission, girls and women, but my athlete sessions with my guys are my favorite as well, because it's needed and it's mm-hmm. so necessary. And when we had, we did a session and apparently the next day, one of the guys had something happen in his family and they couldn't find him for a couple hours. And the whole team came together and went and found him and rallied around him after our session. And I thought the only way that's going to happen is if we teach them, hey, it's not normal to not check in on your friends. You can give them some space, but still check in. Like it's yeah. not normal to do that. They think it's normal. And we have to change that narrative. Mm-hmm. I think. Coming from the military, I saw it a little bit more than you would see probably at going to college or just everyday life because you're trained to ask those questions once a year. You have, you know, suicide awareness, mental health, whatever classes that you are required to take every year. And sometimes there are people who, you know, who just brush it off. They just like, oh, you know, check in a box. But there are actually people who, you know, actually get something from that. And then if we consistently teach that over time, we know that we're going in the right direction. And I think we are slowly going in the right direction, but there's still a lot of progress that needs to be made. That's centuries of a behavior. And I'm a military girl too. And I'll tell you, I don't remember any of that. My military experience was extremely different than yours. I We never had that training. And I think we were in the same years and maybe maybe I wasn't ready. So maybe my trauma blocked when I went into those things. Yet the behaviors that I saw were not good. It was not supportive. People really did not check in on each other. I mean, as you know, we have, um, you know, veteran suicide is extremely high. Soldier suicide is extremely high. That's something I want to get involved in. And it's not because now, yes, I believe that they're doing their part now, Yet there's decades of people not doing the right thing. So it's going to take a lot longer to turn that around per se. So yeah, seeing the same behaviors, I always think, you know what, I see the same thing going on, but I'm super excited that I'm part of the solution Mm -hmm. rather than just being part of the problem. So I think that's the focus. Yeah. So going back to what you do with women and men, how can you Or how do you build confidence in women? And do you think there's a difference when teaching women and men? So building confidence is truly, it is about the person in front of you. So you're not building their confidence. You're teaching them how to build their confidence. So the biggest thing I always have to start with with people is essentially figuring out where did we get lost? Where did you lose yourself? So again, when I talk about going back to the most authentic version of yourself, you know, I have these pillars that we talk about, you know, our mindset, our actions, our ideation, and our self-assurance. Those things are an absolute need in your everyday for you to be able to understand who you are. You can't have confidence if you don't know who you are, because you're going to be confused. You're, you're trying to either mirror or compare or become something you're not. So it has to be about 
helping them step backwards and figure out where do things start to go wrong? Where did you start to either not believe in yourself, not use your voice? What happened that caused that? And then it's not about staying stuck in that loop. Most of the time when I coach, they've had counseling and that's absolutely essential to work through that. Now it's like, we know what happened, what action steps are we going to take to change that? So confidence only comes from action. You have to take steps. You have to do things. I tell people affirmations are great, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. They're crap. When you don't know how to take action behind them, they're crap. Stop telling your people to look in the mirror and say, I'm beautiful. That's great. But if you truly don't believe that, and if you're not taking action steps to feel that way about yourself, to lie. And essentially you cannot change brain patterns unless there's actions with the brain pattern. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you bring up affirmations because that's something that is talked about so much. And recently I bought these cards that are like confidence cards. And so they're essentially affirmations for my daughters. And I think it was yesterday, I gave each one of them a card and I saw the differences in each one and how they approached it. And so for my eight-year-old, it was, um, I can understand. And so when I gave her the card, I was like, do you believe this? And she, and she actually like started thinking like, oh yes. And actually remembered a time when she was understanding towards somebody else and you could kind of see like, oh yeah, I, I am this. She recognized that she was that. And I, I gave my six-year-old a card, which was, I am strong. And she read it and she just got this big smile and she just kept saying it throughout the day. And then you just hear, I am strong. I am beautiful. I am strong. And she just kept saying it because she really believed it. And I think what you said is right. You can't just say it. You really have to believe it. And there has to be some kind of action connected to that belief. Otherwise, it's more of a wish. Well, remember, they're still super little. And I love those ages. But I'm going to give some perspective on that age. So the beautiful thing about their age is that there hasn't been a lot of noise. So their their brain and their neurons and the way they think Art should still be very innocent and very good. They should be able to read an affirmation and believe it a hundred percent. So mm-hmm. when I say that we have to think about, think about the average person that's been through a lot of junk, right? So the negative thought process that's happened a million times, right? Mm-hmm. Millions of times. That's, we think a lot. So when you've had a long-term effect of negative thoughts, low, you know, self-image, you know, non-belief in yourself over years and years and years, That's where there has to be actions behind that. So like for your little girl, what's beautiful is at a young age, when you told her she's strong, I am strong. Now I can give that to an 11 year old girl who has maybe tried out for a sport, didn't make it or, you know, struggles in gym class. And she would say, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. So her perspective is different because she's had the world change her view. So for that 11 year old, I would say, oh, okay, so you're not strong because something, few things you tried didn't make you feel strong. What's your perspective on strength? How do we look at strength? What are some actions that I can give her to make her feel strong? So it, it works until we've had so much noise that our brain and our heart is like, whatever, like they just don't want to hear it because it's comfortable to stay in the negative. It's comfortable to think those things about ourselves, and nobody believes that they're like, well, that's not comfortable. Actually, we've made it really comfortable for our brain. The negative, mm-hmm. that's all it knows. Do you think it's hard finding that root cause, that root scenario of what, where they branched off and changed? No, not at all. That's why I love what I do. Not at all. 
again, I think that if you know how to create safe space and you know how to ask the right questions, and again, I have a very strong personality and I, I let people know like, hey, we're not going to spend a lot of time circling. So I might say some things that are going to be a little uncomfortable, right? So I ask certain questions. I'm very specific. I ask how certain things make them feel. And then I create a safe space and it's very easy. I, I don't, I just, I, I struggle when people say, I think that for some people, it's uncomfortable for them to create that space. So, so it is hard to get those things answered for me. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Okay. Where did this happen? Cause we're going to go back and we are going to put action with this and we're going to shift the whole narrative and you're going to feel amazing. If you do the work Strip flat out, if you do the work, you can give people the concept of, Hey, this is kind of where things went astray. And most people know. So if they tell you, they don't know. It's, they're just trying to avoid it still. Most people know kind of where it happened or their brain is protecting them. So mm -hmm. for me, I had a ton of trauma. So I had to work, work through that. Like, where is this coming from? Well, I had pushed all that trauma down. The brain does to protect you. So you have to figure out, are they avoiding or do they just not remember out of protection? So you, there's questions you have to ask for that. And you asked me, is a difference building, building confidence in men and girls and boys, men and women? No. Yet, I think men and women look at different things as confidence builders. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can see that. Yes. Men want to, they want to level up. Um, like it or not, they still kind of want to be the man in something, right? I mean, because that's just how the world is. Mm -hmm. They want to win. You know, I would say competitiveness is a little more normal in a guy. Where women are like, I want to look pretty. I want to belong. Like, so it is different. So you have to know what's their narrative, what's important to them, or what do they think is important. So you have to get to know them. And there's questions that I ask, but I think that building confidence in anybody is about getting the core root of who they are, making sure we're doing those things that make you feel good, not me, not anybody else. And then 100% taking action steps over and over and over again and using the pillars of, you know, the context of what you have to do every day to constantly grow it. You know, people think like, oh, I'm going to do this thing and then I'm done. Well, you're never done <laughs> ever. If you are, I mean, you're, you're kind of like in the ground. So I always remind them like, it's just a journey. Don't, don't stress it. Mm -hmm. So one way that I've noticed that you've started to expand working with women is you've done events where you brought moms and daughters together to learn more about each other. So I know there's an event coming up. So would you talk about that one first? Yeah. So that's my other company. The first company we're talking about is Bring It, Push It, Own It. And then Brain Power Her actually grew out of Bring It, Push It, Own It. So I've empowered girls for a decade. So I see, I've seen the same things for a very long time. Right. And the thing that I noticed is I do these things, the girls feel great. And then they go home and mom has maybe never had that kind of empowerment or mom hasn't been able to, you know, get tools to help herself. So my thing with brain power is I want to empower moms so that they're highly empowered to empower their girls. Because where's the best place to be empowered? Honestly, it's with the people that you spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. I spend, you know, two hours with you and I send you home. And that can be very sad because you're like, you did these great things. Now they're gone, right? So you can only do so much. So for me, 
I know that a lot of women are like me. We've had a lot of stuff that we maybe didn't work on initially. You become a mom. And then what do you do? All of your focus is on being a mom, a parent, a wife, and you put all the stuff behind you and you run from it and you pretend like it's not a thing. You're like, everything's great. I don't have any problems. And then it can come out in ways that you don't realize. And then our girls see it. My girls saw it. I've had to work on so many things that I started seeing like, oh my gosh, my teen girls, you know, these are things that they have picked up on, even if you do a really good job of hiding it, which we think we do as adults and parents. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to give an opportunity to help moms feel empowered so that they can empower the girl. Biggest thing, healthy relationship between mom and daughter. A lot of times girls become teens and it causes a lot of conflict between mom and girl because they might be a lot alike. And if we don't have the tools and we haven't dealt with our own stuff, we're going to push on that conflict, push on it rather than pull back and learn how to mold that relationship as your girl grows, because your girl is not going to be your same girl. Your sweet girls at six and eight are going to be different at nine and 11. And then they're going to be different at 14 and 17. And then 24, you know, my oldest is 24 and she's just gotten to a stage where everything that's been taught or she's seen or the tools that have been given, she uses them a hundred percent. And my 18 year old is, is real close to that. So what I see is a lot of conflict with moms not thinking it's a two-way street. It's mm. the old theory. You probably know this yeah. because I'm the parent, because I said so, because, and there's no relationship. We don't treat our friends like that. We don't treat our girls like that. So that parenting style is a bit dangerous. We have to shift that narrative. So we put on a retreat in Arizona in July. My oldest daughter and I did a couple day retreat. And we did these activities to help them get to know each other on a different level. Because when you live together, like you think you know it all, it's interesting. But mm -hmm. there's things that you don't talk about. So we gave them these just fun questions, like out of the blue things to ask and activities to do and bonding activities. And we really loved that. So wanted to bring that to my local community. So I took the three days and condensed it to an afternoon. So we call it the mom and daughter unfiltered refocus and reconnect. Even if you're already, we tell moms, this doesn't mean you have a bad relationship. It means you want to actually keep that relationship going. And it's about spending special time with her. A lot of times when you have a couple of kids, it's, you're like, I want to spend time with this one and this one and this one. And it's hard to find that individual time. So we're giving that opportunity. So the moms and daughters come in. We have, we do do a little bit of fun movement because I think everything should involve a little bit of fun movement, teaching them how to do that joyfully as a family. Like mm -hmm. you guys can go do these things together. Then we do a little bit of mindfulness, but then we do an afternoon of workshops where they get to do these activities. They get to know each other really well. And so we did our first afternoon in October and that got raving reviews. So yes, I want to push more of that. And I do want to provide coaching for moms and daughters that maybe are struggling because that happens. Your daughter can get in a season and you feel helpless. And a lot of parents will just say, well, it'll just pass. Well, a lot of times it doesn't pass. And then you have a grown daughter and a grown mom who actually don't get along. They just mm -hmm. pretend. I hear women say like, oh, my mom's coming to visit. I'm so stressed out and I'm so anxious. I don't want my girls to ever feel that way about me. Yeah. So that means that there's relationship dynamics, feelings that got hurt, things that never got talked about. They just pushed them aside. So when I do some coaching on that, that relationship dynamic and speaking and educating on that, on those topics. So that's what brain power comes 
So you kind of already answered the question, but if you could summarize three key takeaways from the event, those events that you've done, what would those three takeaways be? So for Brain Power, it's identifying how to have a real, raw, and authentic relationship. And that takes work. And, and it takes the work of the parent as well. And, and the girl, a lot of times kids think they don't have a part. So we're teaching the girl that it's, it's both of you. This is a relationship. We're teaching our kids that everything is a relationship, right? It's also identifying that sometimes to bond on a deeper level, it's okay to go outside of your normal circle and go do something different and get a little uncomfortable because they're coming into our space. So even though we're making it super fun and safe and all those things, there's going to be a little level of discomfort and that is perfection for growth, right? Mm -hmm. And then I would say the third thing is moms being able to look at themselves the way that you were raised and ask yourself if that's working. Is that working? Is this relationship going the direction you want it to? Minus the normal parenting things that we just have to do and your kids aren't going to like you sometimes. It's not about that. It's about how you respond. Are you responding from a space of healing yourself? Are you parenting in a way that is providing growth? Or are you parenting in a way that is just, this is just how it is and I don't have to explain myself to you, which is still really common. So I think being able to look at yourself as a mom is a huge attribute to your relationship. Awesome. Um, so now that we're nearing the end of the podcast, I have three final questions, which I ask all the guests. Each one is over the top is a topic of the podcast. So live, love, and grow. So you'll have one question for each topic. Okay. For the first question, <laughs> what advice can you share about how to create a life that leaves a positive impact on the world? Oh my gosh. You have to do something that matters. <laughs> I think that one's really simple. You have to, and I know not everybody can do that in your eight hour day. So maybe your, your job, essentially, you aren't able to do that all day long. But I think that we have a 24 hour day and we have a, a lot of time in our lives and you have to do something that matters. So everybody, it's different. What are you passionate about? What matters to you? And I think that for me, if I die tomorrow, I feel like I, I'm really doing things about things that matter and they're important and people people need that help. So wow, you just need to do things that matter. Like they feel good to your heart and your soul when you wake up. Okay. Second question. What are some practical ways people can cultivate self-love? Oh my goodness. Could talk on this one all day long. So I'll kind of repeat because we need to hear things, you know, seven to a hundred times, right? So self-love, really, you need to look at self-assurance. Mm. So let me explain what that means, right? So self-love is a buzzword and, and we use it. Yeah, if you can't assure yourself, you're constantly looking for outside validation. So how can you ever love yourself if you can't assure yourself? So some of the things that I teach are, hey, what are things that you constantly go for outside validation? And that could be on your phone. It could be friends. It could be family. I want you to start asking yourself to validate you. Did you make that decision? Are you good with it? You know, why did you make that decision? Um, celebrate yourself when something goes well. That That is self-assurance that you're proud of yourself and that you're doing really well. Also, I can't say it enough, the action steps. So here, I'll give an example. I tell girls this. So an affirmation would be, I wake up every day and I say, I'm awesome. That affirmation only goes so far. What makes me believe that I'm awesome is that 
I've created businesses that help and love people. I take the steps to facilitate programs that actually do the work. I use my voice to advocate for people. Do you see the difference? My action steps help me believe that I'm awesome because I'm doing things that matter. So I think taking action, action steps that stand behind how you want to feel and then assuring yourself as often as you can. It's okay to, to look for outside love and support, but it really shouldn't be 80% of the time. And that's what's happening. So self-assure for sure. <laughs> I love that answer. So yeah. final question, what is one actionable tip someone can do to grow 1% better? So I'm going to, I'm going to use the neuroscience here and use kind of a tip that that I give people. I think the thing people struggle with the most is their negative thoughts or thoughts that we don't like that don't serve us, right? We all mm -hmm. have them like a hundred percent. I can be with a group and I can get a hundred percent of that group to say, yes, I've had a negative thought today. So that's the thing that most of us struggle with. This is the, the thing that I give out in coaching. If you want to change a negative thought, you cannot just say, I want to change this thought. It doesn't work. Your brain is programmed. Here's the beautiful news. You can change your brain neurons. It takes work. So it'll take about 400,000 times to change it by just thinking you want to change it. Here's a trick. So let's say I have a negative thought. I walk into a room and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not as credentialed as all these people. I stop. Like I'm almost hitting a red light. Like I'm going to run through it in my car. So hard stop, stop myself in that thought. And then I do a body movement. I either tap on my chest tap on my leg, tap my foot. If I don't want everybody to see what I'm doing, tap, clap my hands so that my nervous system realizes something is happening. My thought process will stop because I'm shifting my nervous system. And then I say, is that the truth? No, that's not the truth. Actually, I have life experience. I have, so I shift that thought. You can't just shift a thought with a thought. The brain is so programmed and it's connected to your nervous system. Your nervous system is like, oh my gosh, right? So if I feel like I'm not good enough, what happens? My body goes like this, right? I'm telling my body we're safe. Everything's fine. That's not our thought. That's a lie we've made up. So that's a really great tip. And if you use it, you will see immediately that it shifts your narrative. Now, do you have to do it over and over again? Absolutely. <laughs> That is a great tip. Not only am I going to use that, but I'm also going to make sure that I teach people that too, because that it's, it's quick, but you can, it's so helpful. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. You have now connected brain, body, spirit, everything is together. And it'll take you 25, you know, a quarter of the time of that 400 thought, 400,000. I'm like, I don't have time for 400,000 thought change processes. I need this stuff to happen. Right. And that's where people give up. They're like, well, I told myself I didn't want to think that way. And I'm like, it's not your fault. Like your your brain is massive and beautiful. You just got to try a different way. Try this trick and see how you feel. Mm -hmm. So how can people connect with you? Yes. So they can find me on obviously all platforms under my name. And so Tisha Marie Strasser, and then they can also find me under Bring It, Push It, Own It. Both my companies, you can look me up either way. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, bring it, push it, own it.com. And then hero power .com for brain power. And you have your own podcast. Oh yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, yes. That is brain power as well on Spotify. Yes, you are correct. Thanks friend. <laughs> and how can people support you on your journey? 
Yeah, I think that if you are excited about empowering our next generation of girls to love themselves authentically, find and use their voice and know they can do hard things, which is what we want women to go after because we are still the minority, take a look at Bring It and see how you can support that mission. We're always looking for $10 a month monthly partners. People don't realize it, but $10 when it adds up is massive. And then we have this community that's supporting us. And so see if there's a way that you can you know, time, treasure, or talent, whatever works for you if you want to get involved. And then if you're looking to really change like your relationships as a woman, the way that you see the world, go after things and really show up and be your own hero, look me up uh, for Brain Power and I have programs. I'm going to be bringing some webinars out. I have coaching and workshops and all the good things. So incredible. So Tisha, I just want to thank you and acknowledge you for spending the time here teaching people what you do best. And I know it took a while for us to get this together, schedule conflicts and all that, but I'm just glad that we were able to sit down and have this conversation and teach people. Yeah, thank you for all you do. It's been fun. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast. I look forward to seeing you next week. Don't forget to live, love, and grow to be the best version of you. Oh, and one more thing. If you or a young man that you know suffer from victim mindset or are not reaching their fullest potential, then visit mattfindora.com to see how we can work together to become the best version of ourselves. That's mattfindora.com. The link will be in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you and have an outstanding day.